more than 91% of all content on the web will never receive a single click from search. I'm here to tell you the bad news. In 2023, that's going to go to 99.99%. Welcome to episode 10 of Product Market Fit, a podcast all about startups and growth. I'm your host, Moshe Poltrek, and today we're back on the topic of AI. I'm excited to share my conversation with Alexander Dereder, co-founder and CTO of Inc., also known as Inc. for All. Today, we talk about some of the risks of AI content generation and what it means to do SEO in 2023. Alexander shares how he grew the company's website traffic from zero to one million monthly visitors in under six months and lessons learned building and growing Inc. If you're involved in content strategy or SEO in any way, you're definitely going to want to listen. Just to give you a heads up, the first 20 minutes or so is a bit more technical and focused on AI. So if you want to skip ahead and jump to Inc.'s growth story and Alexander's advice, use the timestamps in the show notes. My goal with this podcast is to share practical knowledge with startup founders and growth practitioners. If you enjoyed this episode, I would greatly appreciate it if you'd leave a rating and review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you love to listen. And please share it on social media so others like you can find us. The Product Market Fit podcast is brought to you by growth.co. That's growth without the O.co. Growth offers fractional CMOs paired with best-in-class digital marketing execution to support early-stage startup success. With a focus on seed and Series A companies, Growth has helped a number of SaaS, digital health, and e-commerce startups build their go-to-market function and scale up. To learn more and book a free consultation, go to growth.co. That's G-R-W-T-H dot C-O. Now here's my conversation with Alexander Dereder. Alexander, welcome. I'm really excited to have you on today. Nice to be here. The product that you have, Inc. for All, can you tell me what is it and how are you different from other generative AI tools that are out there? Thanks for that question. Inc. is a content marketing suite, like you can create content. It has generative AI in there, but it's specifically unique because it cares about the performance of your content. We believe that content must get found, engage, and convert to be worth anything. To understand Inc., you need to understand the big idea behind Inc., So when we saw neural networks becoming a thing in 2012, 13, the wheels started spinning on how that would affect SEO. You know, I have been in the marketing industry for a while and I knew the game was kind of cat and mouse around backlinks back then, but Google needed other signals to know if the quality of content was actually good or if it was just being gamed. From that, we figured, well, it's only a matter of time before Google will use neural networks to start judging the quality of content, what's in there, you know, what information, et cetera. And so that was the premise upon which the foundation of Inc. is built. So then we built the world's first semantic AI analysis on the top ranking content in Google. And the idea is that the best content as defined by users for any topic will always rise to the top. I mean, that's the entire reason why these platforms exist to give you the best possible experience as a consumer of content. So if the best content is on the top, you have a better experience and that's how they make more money. So by analyzing, reverse engineering that content, you can learn a lot about it. What is the style that they share uh, or don't share? What is the information they share or don't share? And so forth and so on. So the idea behind Inc. is that you can understand what makes content perform, which means get found, engage, and convert. And that predates any kind of AI generation. The problem we had at that time when we had this technology, well, for internal use, it was no problem. 
because we had an SEO agency at that time serving uh, 10% of the Fortune 100 in America, growing their sites by millions of visitors a month. We were quite comfortable using that technology in-house to get phenomenal results. But whenever we did experiments with other people trying to use it, the problem was that writers got paid for Word. And so their time is valuable. And when you tell them, now you have to optimize all these things, they were like, well, we're not getting paid for that. So I would say like the world wasn't ready for performance as such. But now the tables have shifted, right? Because with a a lot of AI generation, the market is getting flooded with cheap content. And so now is the time like when our technology becomes relevant because it's all about the performance side. And you mentioned before about focusing on the consumption of content as opposed to just use AI in order to generate lots of content. What do you mean by a focus on consumption? Generative AI is really cool as a, as a toy to play with. You enter some text, you get something back and you go like, wow, my mind is blown. But I think even uh, Sam Altman, CEO, OpenAI, he said uh, in some podcast, he said, I think people are underestimating the consumption side of what such technologies are able to, to deliver. And when you think of consumption side, I think that has become true in a sense. The release of ChatGPT has made a lot of people talk about how Google and search will change. And that is the consumption side, right? So it's generative AI, but it's the consumption side. It's how you consume content rather than how you generate content. So Google does not produce net new information, but it helps you consume information that you're looking for. The consumption side of this time we live in, 2023, is a little bit underappreciated in this whole generative narrative. And so when it comes to our product specifically, how we see that, the consumption side, is that we cannot forget there's a supply and a demand side to content. Supply side, it can go exponentially high, right? Can grow exponentially with AI. But on the demand side, it's still a pretty steady, linear, growing quantity of human beings connected to the internet that are going to consume it. So the consumption side is much more interesting to us because at the end of the day, any content that you produce, whether you're a human or AI, should be consumed by a human being that finds your content engaging, useful, informative, accessible, and so forth. So the problems associated with how you make content accessible, useful, performant, That's what we mean with the consumption side. Right. Because content generation is a tool. Ultimately, the goal is to provide information that's relevant to a consumer in order to achieve a business goal. So if it's a conversion or a sign-up, a customer, whatever it is, that content is there to serve that end. So if you're not focusing on the end user and you're just producing content in order to game an algorithm, then what have you actually accomplished? That's right. You brought up ChatGPT, and obviously that's really taken over the news cycle recently. Everybody's a buzz about it. Why do you think it has captured the zeitgeist in, in such a way? And is it truly a game changer uh, from your perspective? ChatGPT on its own is not a technological game changer. There is no groundbreaking new big AI idea. It's using uh, reinforcement learning with human feedback and creates a chat interface around GPT 3.5, their latest uh, Instruct series. On its own, technologically, this is not the big revolution 
that everyone would think about, but it is revolutionary in other senses, right? So first of all, the whole form that it takes, the embodiment that it takes, the embodiment of a helpful assistant, right? This is revolutionary. Think of how much more helpful the Google Assistant will become in the future as a, not just something that you ask for, what's the weather like today, but something that can read your emails and summarize and reply for you and gets actual stuff done. The hypercharge assistant, right? I don't know if you had this childhood dream. I did. Uh, having a, a robot that can do your homework, right? I mean, this is kind of it, right? It's like danger Will Robinson. And so you've, uh, you've got that that's revolutionary. And then the other thing that is really revolutionized is a little bit unintended consequence. I think it took OpenAI even by surprise. It had changed the narrative and the world will never be the same, right? And so all of a sudden, everybody wants this and everybody gets it. And it doesn't matter whether you're a 70 year old or you're like a 12 year old, you're going to talk about ChatGPT and dream about how it can help you. And so those are the ways that it's been revolutionary. And then the final way I would say is I've got a really strong suspicion that ChatGPT has been released in the way it has been to kind of test, like poke your toe in the water to see the temperature in anticipation of GPT-4, which will be, from a technological point of view, really change the narrative because it will be a true multimodal AI. You hit on a, a few really interesting points there, not to get down a rabbit hole around whether or not kids should be using ChatGPT because I have uh, four kids and they would love to have an assistant help them with their homework. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know, the news came out last week that the New York City public school system has already banned ChatGPT on any servers. So it's going to be interesting to, to see yeah. how that game of cat and mouse. You want my two second take on that? Sure, yeah. <laughs> I believe that children should be encouraged to use ChatGPT for anything and everything homework related and school assignments. However, if they use it, they have to be honest about it. You have to disclose it. I think that that ethos should should be what we say as an industry, as, as marketers as well. Like ChatGPT isn't something that you hide under the surface of like, did you create content with ChatGPT? That's a no-no. If it helps you create something useful and you put in the work to make sure of that, then there's nothing wrong with using a chatbot to assist you. Like we use yeah. bots for many things to make us more efficient. It's where we don't check the work and then pass something off that could be rubbish as fact where we run into problems or where we plagiarize or just don't disclose that where we run into problems, I think. So we have to remember what's, what education is for, right? So education exists to prepare our children for the world to come. So what does the world look like in 10 years from now? Everybody is using AI as a part of their workflow. Everybody. right? The way you use it, the way you add value, that's what makes content better or worse. It is not the fact that you are using it, it's the fact how you use it. So if that's true, then the job of educators today is to equip children for such a future. And that means you need to equip them and train them to use the latest and most innovative technologies in accomplishing their work task. But they have to be honest about it. They cannot say, I did this when they did not. Absolutely. I'm a little scared and also very excited about the future that AI is bringing because 
our kids are going to live a completely different life than we did. You know, we had a different upbringing, you know, growing up in, in the age of, of mobile and personal computing and, and the internet is obviously different than how our parents grew up. But I think this is on, on orders of magnitude, a bigger shift in how everything will work. But we're getting, getting our track there. <laughs> but I think that the reason why ChatGPT is taking off right now and it's gotten all this buzz, chat is just a really natural interface. People communicate by talking, by, you know, back and forth. And this to me is, is kind of like the mouse to personal computing where the interface creates the revolution in, in pop culture and uh, adoption. So you're right, from a technological perspective, the, the model itself isn't much different from GPT-3. And th those tools have been around for years and Ink for All has been around for, for a couple of years as well, serving up AI-generated content using these language models, but the interface has uh, made it accessible to all. You mentioned GPT-4. I'd love to get a little bit of what are going to be the the main technological evolution or uh, advancements in, in GPT-4? And what do you mean by multimodal? Why is that uh, important? Think of Canva, a very popular website. It helps you create visuals with text and everything in between, right? Well, imagine that ChatGPT upgraded to GPT-4 would be able to make any kind of output that you can get from Canva by just talking to it. Imagine you had an assistant in your office that could create visuals, another assistant that could create great copy, and then a person that can compose and merge the two, like making a meme. And so GPT-4 will be multimodal, meaning it can do images and text, and also text inside of images and images inside text. It can maybe even design fonts for you. Very closely related to this is the ability to create video from, mm. from input, from prompts. You know, imagine unlimited Seinfeld episodes from now to the end of the world. <laughs> and you could press a button and never stop watching. I'm a fan of Seinfeld, but I don't know if the world needs unlimited Seinfeld. <laughs> but so, well, so multimodal. To you, each their own, right? So, so, you're so you're taking the, the power of something like GPT-3, combining it with Dolly 2, and together you can create something like, let's say, to start a comic book, right? So you're creating the, the visuals, you're creating the narrative and the text and the outline, and it's all happening in one place. And to your point about video, video is just... A series of visuals, right? It depends on the frame rate, uh, how many you need to put together. So in theory- With a sense of forward planning. Right. With a sense of, yeah, because you have to, you know, your video needs to have a beginning and an end and you cannot just make a frame based on the last frame. You have to have a sense of composition to it all, right? right? What other technical revolutions need to happen for GPT-4 to be what it's claimed to be? So I, I just want to disclose, I don't know if they're going to have video support in GPT-4. But we already know the advancements are really heading that way. And we've already seen the first video generator. So maybe rudimentary. I see OpenAI probably siphoning off the video capabilities of GPT-4, if it has any, into a standalone product that they'll label as beta and refine more over time before they release it. But uh, that aside, what innovations? So we think about capability and intelligence, but... We have to think about compute. So innovations in compute, better hardware means better AI models, both in training and execution. But you also have to think about cost. 
right? So one of the reasons that Google has not yet embraced uh, large language models in search is because the cost needs to come down 10 to 100 times. And one of the ways that the cost can come down, and this is likely what GPT-4 will do, is by increasing the number of tokens that are used in training. We're all talking about the number of parameters, and that sounds really nice on paper, but it's not just the neurons, it's also the number of connections you have between them. So tokens requ- more tokens requires more flops for training the model, but once it's trained, the model does not increase in size but gives you 10x improvement. So if you have 10 times cheaper, 10 times faster, and 10 times more intelligent, that's a 10 times 10 times 10. That's a 1,000x improvement. And if 2023 would provide a 1,000x improvement over 2022 in AI, the world would change completely. If we're impressed by ChatGPT today and the next year's version of it will be a thousand times better. The world changes because of that. So it doesn't always have to blow your mind with all of a sudden, you know, replacing Aristotle and Einstein. It can just impress you as well by being 10 times faster and 10 times more affordable to run because of the type of applications it unlocks from a business perspective. So GPT-4 will be smarter, but it will also, uh, there's diminishing returns in certain fields of cognition. And uh, Google's Palm Research, I'm sorry if the answer is a little bit bit long, but Google has a a large language model called Palm. And and in that paper, they did a beautiful illustration, which is like, I think it's really captivating. You see like a tree growing. And as the model gets larger and smarter, little branches come off and it starts to develop new areas of cognition. Like, for example, you can ask ChatGPT to do some math and and like initially it was not capable of doing math. But as it gets smarter, it develops reasoning, critical thinking and new areas of cognition open. And as these models get more trained, the first thing you see is the basic layers of intelligence, so to speak. They, they get larger, 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 and then there's diminishing returns because you reached a certain point that they kind of have a little bit of maturity. But then there's new branches sprouting here and there near the top of the tree. And you're like, oh, hey, we never thought AI could do that. And so keep training those models and these branches start uh, blooming and getting bigger too. And all of a sudden you can use these multimodal AIs in new fascinating capacity. And that Eventually, Moshe is where you get to general artificial intelligence, because at at some point, these intelligences can do so many generalized tasks that, you know, we can start thinking of them as a general intelligence. Oh, I don't think that GPT-4 will will reach AGI just yet, but we're definitely on that track. The problem with the statement is that nobody quite agrees on what what that G, G stands for. And in one definition, at least, you could say ChatGPT already passed the Turing test. And another definition, you could say that a multimodal AI, because it does more than one thing, is by definition general. Mm. And so in one definition, at least, you could say AGI is already here. So AGI, is it truly here? No, it's not here. Is it sentient? No. Uh, things like that, right? But we are getting scary close. And so 
AGI will arrive much sooner than anybody thinks, but it'll also be less scary than anybody thinks. And the versions that we think about in science fiction, true sentient AI, that's almost human-like in its intelligence, that is still ways out. But we don't need such type of AI to radically change the world. In fact, if we stopped innovation today, you would have you have enough source material here with what's already released to completely change everything we know in the world. It's fascinating. A little scary, very exciting. Just so just going back real quick to clarify, I want to make sure that I understand. GPT-2 to GPT-3, the number of parameters increased by more than 100x. You're saying that with GPT-4, yes. the number of parameters don't need to increase that much. There are other factors besides for the number of parameters that right. uh, will make the the system smarter, faster, cheaper, and therefore more valuable. I don't know the exact number, but let's just assume that the number of tokens used is like 10 to 1, like one one token, 10 10 parameters. That's kind of let's just assume that's the ratio for GPT-3. Uh, DeepMind discovered that the ratio should be more like 10 to 10. If you trained it on 10 times as many tokens, again, I'm making a gross simplification here, but just assume that your model gets 10 times more impressive, right? Because you have to train it 10 times more. You have 10 times more tokens. So the, the compute required is 10x. So your output, let's say, is 10x. Again, there's diminishing returns. There's a gross simplification, right? So GPT-4 does not have to be 10 times larger in parameters to be 10 times more impressive. But the beautiful thing is that we have now seen you can actually cut your parameters in half if you want and just increase your tokens 5x and you can get a more performant model. You can get a smarter model that also happens to to, uh, run twice as fast and cost half the amount uh, to run because it uses half the memory, for example. I don't know because I don't work for OpenAI. I don't know if the new model is going to have more parameters in addition to having more tokens. What is sure is that it's going to dramatically increase the number of tokens. Got it. And if you use the brain analogy, if a parameter is a neuron, a token is a is a synapse? The connections between the Got neurons, it. yes. And, and I, I actually think that that's also with human experience, right? The more tr- paths or neurons have traveled, the more connections we're able to make and the, the more intelligence we become. Like learning does not stop when you're 20 years old. Experience does matter and does play a role in it. So Likewise, we are going to discover an order of magnitude increase in intelligence just by training more tokens. And um, again, I expect this to be multimodal. I expect it to be roughly the same cost initially, just because they maybe not have to give it away for for less, but they probably will, will realize a sizable cost saving on their back end. And then I believe the speed will also be improved. And you will see that um, the partnership, like this is a dead giveaway. This is a dead giveaway. Microsoft Bing is announcing a partnership with OpenAI. Okay. You can bet that's going to use GPT-4. And you can bet that means that GPT-4 is 10 to 100 times more cost efficient to run, period. So that's like a dead giveaway in the industry. If you know what's going on behind the scenes and you hear an announcement like that, the reason why they announced that partnership is because they they have 
knowledge about the technical problem that's being solved by this next generation. Maybe Bing will be relevant one day. <laughs> Actually, Bing is pretty darn good today. It's good, but nobody We're likes it. Nobody habit. uses it. We're all in the habit of using yeah. Google, and habits are hard that's to change. We can keep uh, geeking out on AI, but I do want to talk about Inc. and your growth story. Our podcast is about how startups get built and reach audiences and grow. And I'd love to hear from you, your journey, what what you've learned along the way, what's worked, what hasn't worked. Why don't we start with, I would say, founding of Inc., but it wasn't really a kind of zero to one start. You had a SEO agency that was very successful working with some of the biggest companies, uh, publicly traded companies, Fortune 100s, driving organic traffic. And you had built this tool internally to make your teams more efficient and be able to increase your uh, output and your results. At some point, you decided to switch your focus from, hey, we're an agency with a tool to this tool is really valuable. Let's productize and focus on the SaaS platform of Inc. For All. So talk to me about that journey of going from service to SaaS. Well, the, the story is, is simple, really. I always wanted to build a product, but uh, services money is so easy. <laughs> when you're good at something and you have a technological differentiator, I mean, service money comes in easy. And quickly. Um, you, don't need, you don't need a bunch of CapEx yeah, to get started. Exactly. So, you know, you could, we could have totally put a, a pitch deck together, go to investors, say, here's our idea, let us build it. In five years, it will be relevant. <laughs> Or we could have just, you know, kept our tap cap table clean and build it using uh, using services funds. So, yeah, for the past six years or so, I've had double duty. I've had more than one job. Now, at heart, I'm a technologist. I'm a builder. Uh, I'm a computer scientist. I think of myself as an artist with uh, technology. Right. I love the intersection of humans and technology and how we interact in it and and engage with that. So I always wanted to, that was my passion to build and figure out the DNA of performing content, right? And and then how humans interact with it. So it was not a, uh, it was not something like one day I said like, hey, I want to change this. It was always the goal, but the agency services business kind of took a life of its own. It got way more successful than we needed it to be to fund the uh, development. And at some point you have a fiduciary responsibility and you have to take care and make sure that company can continue to double in size year over year. And you have a responsibility towards the amazing people that work at Edgy Labs, take care of them, make sure, provide guidance and take care of the clients that trust you with their, with their properties. And we've done great work there and I'm very proud of that. But at, at some point we had a courtship and we had a phenomenal company, a company from Brazil that is coming to the United States. And so they're, they really like have a same DNA approach that we have. We're like very nerdy and we love, we love getting into things and figuring stuff out. So it, it was a really amazing match. However, we would have not sold it if we couldn't break out the technology to finish what we started, right? And so uh, about a year ago, we had our exit. We, um, we split off ink nicely. Now, the thing about it is that um, maybe this was a detriment. A market window is only open so long. And if you're too comfortable, you will miss the window. Inc., because we were so comfortable, we did not need to make money from clients. 
we were very comfortable using the technology to service our, our agency. And so because of that, you can clearly say that other companies who are just were candy wrappers around OpenAI were completely focused on, on client building and revenue building. We were not. So we missed that window. And like that's on us. That's an operational lesson we've learned. So the question is like, what's the next window? Fortunately for us, we have been working on the performance side of things for, for a very long time. And so this is game time for us. Because now that uh, generative AI is commoditized, the cost per word is basically zero. You can get ChatGPT for free. So why would you pay for any of these companies that have monopolized or marketed a free product? You have, free is free. Right? So what would you pay for in 2023? You're going to pay for reach, for performance. Because you know the saying about finding a needle in a haystack. Two years ago, HRS published a study that more than 91% of all content on the web will never receive a single click from search. I'm here to tell you the bad news, okay? In 2023, that's going to go to 99.99% because of the quantity of content out there. Your brand, your message will be a needle in a haystack. And so Inc. is there to help people with that problem. So the lesson is understand your market window, and go all in and know when the time is right, right? So we did learn a bit of a lesson. And so not everything in Startupville is always up. There's lots of ups and lots of downs, but we are fully focused now. So I hope you'll hear a lot more from us. It's uh, interesting how those candy wrappers, as you described them, which were basically a front end on top of GPT-3, they have lost most of their value with ChatGPT being opened up to the public, right? I can do it for free now. You guys have a very different approach, which is incorporating, like you mentioned, the consumption, the semantic understanding of competitive articles that really focuses on the results of the content that hopefully, and I guess that that's what you're betting on, is that that sets you apart and delivers value to the consumer. I'm not betting on that. That's a right. fact. What I'm betting on is that the market will care about it and that our message will resonate and land. Customers uh, seem to care. So I saw that you have a 4.9 star rating on G2 and Trustpilot, which is pretty incredible. How do you ensure that customers love the product that you're building? And are you actively encouraging users to rate the product or is that just happening completely organically? We're pretty darn obsessed about our product. And I think if you... If you get into like the, the document editor, I think it becomes obvious. I mean, go and look at every other product in the market and then go to the ink document editor and go and look at the detail. Go and see our dyslexia mode, our colorblind mode. Did you know that our sound mode, that we have digitally replicated the sound of Ernest Hemingway's favorite mechanical typewriter? That's a, a very niche feature. <laughs> right? I think that when you use Ink, you'll find a team that is so extremely passionate about creating user delight and so obsessed with its users. We are also using our own product. We have 10, a team of 10 full-time people who write in Ink every single day. Our agency that we sold, Edgy Labs, is still like the agency that is most trained and qualified to use this performance technology from any SEO enterprise 
enterprise agency in the world. So we do what we say and we use it ourselves. And it's our, using our own technology that we were able to grow our site traffic by a million visitors a month in a few months time last year as well. And that is both through the good and the bad. And so by using the product for, your, for, your, for yourself, you can see what the problems are and how to make it better. Because if you don't want to go through it, your users shouldn't go through it either. So I would say that we're extremely customer focused. We're rolling out updates to our product multiple times a week. We have a pretty sizable engineering team, uh, more than two dozen engineers who are full-time working on this, on every aspect of the product. And um, we're in the community. We're by the people's side. They ask me questions and uh, we're there. We're there to help them win. So I'd say that that that's definitely helped us tremendously in in um, in achieving like high high ratings. About G two specifically, now G two has a manual review process for like seeing if reviews are legitimate or not. Trust Pilot is a little bit lower on the trust scale than G two. G2 specifically has a program where you can pay. It's, um, I mean, it's, I think it's 10000 a year or something you commit. Maybe it's more, uh, but it's a sizable amount of money you commit with them. And it, when you do, you get like preferential treatment. And what they do is they will uh, send out emails to your clients and, and give them, them like uh, $10 gift cards or something to leave a review. So there is an incentivization program that G2 has when you work with them. We don't pay G2. Uh, we don't have that. I know some of our competitors do. Maybe one day we will have such a relationship with G2. So it's all completely organic. It's organic within our own customer base. So what we will do is, um, because it is acceptable in G2 to give... Um, people some kind of incentive for spending their time. A G2 review takes thought and time to complete. So what we will do is say like, instead of paying G2 $10,000, right? And then a portion of that goes to the user. Why not just ask our active users and say, hey, do you want to leave a review? And we'll, well, you know, I don't know, we'll give them a gift card or we give them an extra team member or we do something for them. Uh, our customer success team is uh, running that running that. But it's, yes, yeah, so all of the people that are in G2 are active Inc. users who have been using Inc. for a while, and we do not get any benefit from sponsorship right now like their paid program does. Uh, it would probably be a nice thing to have at some point in the future. Cool. Going back to what you were saying about using your own product, what engineers call eating their own dog food, Inc. got, as you mentioned, from zero to a million organic visitors per month in a span of six months, which is unbelievable. Can you walk through at, at a high level how you guys were able to do that? Yeah, so I'll, I'll give you the high level theory of it, okay? So Google has guidelines called expertise, authority, and trust. Now experience, expertise, authority, and trust. The experience is added because only humans have experience, not AI, and Google is cracking down on AI-generated content. But that's, that's the sidebar. Essentially, the trust and authority part come from a website being clearly identified with a certain topic, really strongly identified with a topic. Um, the example of healthline.com that has more than 20,000 articles on apples, right? So yeah, 
the health benefits of apples, nutrition of apples, apple recipes. I mean, I didn't even know you could write 20,000 pieces of content about apples. I mean, apparently you can if you're healthline.com. So Google really likes it when sites are thorough and not just add articles because they have high search volume, but sometimes just add articles on a certain topic just because they're useful to cover your topic completely. And so Google has this idea of trust. So the fundamental idea behind growing dramatically is uh, really having a competitive mindset and saying, when you're going to start an SEO campaign, your goal and idea is how do I dominate a certain niche? And then you go and find out how that niche is broken down in sub niches and how they are all connected, kind of like a folder structure. And then what we do is we exhaustively find every possible thing that piece of people could possibly want to know about every single topic. And we create what's called a content hub. When we started that process last year, we realized that we would need a keyword clustering technology and they're quite expensive out there and they're not always so good. Like they don't always rely on fresh Google data. And it's very important that you have fresh Google data because things change over time. So we built a keyword clustering tool inside of Inc. I mean, it's just like how we're customer obsessed. We like, we know we need it. Our customers will need it too. So we build it and we make it part of Inc. And uh, what the clustering tool does is it takes your list of 10,000 keywords and it and it, it groups them together and say, well, all these keywords here are variants that give the same results, same pages. So it should be all part of one article, right? And so using that information, you can then turn a list of 10,000 keywords or whatever into a list of a few hundred article ideas and so forth. So then the next step is then just uh, creating quality content. So use the level of writers that are necessary that have the expertise and experience uh, on the topic that they know how to curate valuable content. And then we increase their productivity 5x, right, by using Inc. technology. Inc. will not one-click write a whole article for you. We don't believe in that. And honestly, any serious SEO will just do an eye roll, right? So any company that advertises, we're SEO optimized, and we have a one-click blog generator, like, it's snake oil. Don't even give them a second glance because they're either lying to you knowingly or they're completely ignorant. In the best case scenario, they're completely ignorant about what you're talking about. Go with companies that actually respect your, your, your safety online and know what they're talking about. It's a partnership with technology, kind of like uh, programming has this concept for a long time. It's called pair programming, right? And so we, with two people, like co-pilot in an airplane, Right? It's like two are better than one in some cases. And that's how you should think about Inc. Inc. is your assistant. It will not write the article for you. And if you just click the AI write button, click, 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 don't expect to get results from that. We did that and then we published it. Uh, the foundations of SEO are all in place. Like our site is optimized for loading fast and you know people don't want to visit a page that takes 10 seconds to load. And then for converting people, don't even start an SEO project if you don't know how you're going to convert them. Like before you even start, you don't even subscribe to Inc. If you don't have an idea how you're going to get an audience, right? Whether that is a, a PDF giveaway, an email subscription with a secret gift raffle, uh, a little widget that they can try your product or do a little calculator scoring. If you do not have a mechanism to convert your traffic, it's dead weight, right? So um, that's how we got it done. That's how we got uh, that kind of growth. I will 
I will give a little asterisk right now. Very good for your audience to know. Since ChatGPT was released, Google had to put their foot on the brake and issue a code red. That means that currently any website that publishes too fast will be sandboxed. Whether it's human written content or AI written content, you do not want to be in the Google sandbox. So this year, I wouldn't go at the velocity that I went last year. I was writing with a team of uh, seven writers. I was producing more than 800 articles a month. I used to play real-time strategy games. And if this was Star Trek, you can think of me as the Zerg. <laughs> and this year, I have to be a little bit more Protoss, which means I have to think about my quality of my actions a little bit more than the quantity. So that's definitely shifted a little bit. So take a little bit more time on the quality and a little bit less on the quantity, whether it's human or AI written, if you want to have a good year for SEO in 2023. And is there a, a nominal kind of threshold where they say this is, this is too much or is it more on kind of change in velocity? Yeah. Like you used to pu publish once a week and now you're publishing five times a day, something, something changed. Yeah, it's basically dependent on your site's trust and authority over time. So bigger websites like a multinational company can get away with updating a thousand pages in a day, not even blink an eye. But if you have a brand new website, you definitely need to build that up. You can't just go straight into publishing 50 articles a week. You'll get sandboxed immediately. So start with uh, you know, one, one per week, one, one every two, few days, then one per day, then two per day. Like You have to build it up and, and then find your point of resistance, grow your authority, and kind of earn that. And so the best way to think about it, Moshe and, and viewers, is you have to think about it like table manners. You have to respect Google's indexer because Google's indexer today is under tremendous amount of pressure and stress. You can't just afford to index any website and any page because of the amount of spam that's created. I call it a content denial of service attack, this whole AI generation stuff. So what you have to do, right? And if you use Inc, it helps you to do that. But what you have to do is you have to make sure that every piece of content you put on your site is worth indexing for the indexer. Because every time you have bad table manners, the waiter is going to want to wait a little bit longer to refill your glass. So what are the keys to success in SEO in an age of AI-generated content? It's going to be putting the user experience first in everything you do. You have to obsess about user experience. And user experience is such a wonderful word because it's more than just how fast your page loads. It's more than your web design. It is truly thinking about it from this perspective. If somebody were to search for this key phrase, what do they really want? I, I listened to a podcast. I think it was how I built this uh, with the Airbnb people. And they did a thought exercise and said like, okay, uh, what's a five-star hotel experience? And then they took it a step further and they went all the way, okay, what's six stars? What's seven stars? What do we 10 stars? It's like a private limo comes to pick you up from your door and drive. Even if you're never going to do that, you still need to go through the exercise of thinking, what is a 10-star user experience? And so the rule of thumb is this, to escape the, the lion chasing you, you need to just run faster than the other people who are outrunning it. Okay, so with SEO in, in 2023, and it's, it's been true, you don't have to 
be perfect in every way. You don't need a 10 star experience. But in a world where all your competitors are one star, be two stars this year. And don't put anything on your site if it's uh, less stars than what users would rate a competing site. So look at your competition, look at what's ranking high, and ask yourself, how would my users have a better experience? All around, holistically. Don't just look at it from your content. Look at it from your design. Look at it from your loading time, everything. And then I truly believe, Moshe, like the dot apps, right? Dot apps and progressive web apps, that they, the idea and promise behind it is not just a, a piece of, a wall of text. It is truly an experience. It's like an app in the web. The web is going to evolve. And the web is going to evolve into real experiences. And if you think about it, if all you're doing on your page is regurgitating already known common information, then why doesn't Google just keep that traffic to itself? Why send people your way? In 2023, give people a reason to come to your site that is more than just a piece of text. Give them an experience Give them a, give them trust, give them authority, give them something, your personal experience, and uh, maybe even an interface that is augmented in some way. Maybe a, a, a little, it can be installed as a PWA. And, and if you talk about time management, right, make it install a, a Pomodoro timer to your desktop or something, right? Uh, combine it with some kind of value add that people say, I don't want to leave this site. I want to keep coming back. Integrate uh, community and human voices into there. Um, one of the biggest reasons that people keep coming back to Amazon is because the review section. You get an extra layer of value from visiting an Amazon page. Even if you're in another store, I see people scanning the product and looking at the reviews on Amazon to decide if they should buy it in this brick and mortar store. That is what we're talking about for 2023, the secret sauce. I guarantee you and all your viewers, if you do that, you're going to win at SEO in the long term. I love it. Focus on the user and their needs. If you serve that, if you provide value, then you'll be rewarded in the end. What advice do you have for marketers that are currently producing content and either they are... Uh, outsourcing it or they have an agency and they want to make sure that they don't get in trouble for for AI content, right? If they're going to get, Google's going to start penalizing sites if it detects AI content. How do you know if if your outsource writers are using these tools and is, is there a problem if they do? Is there any specific advice that people should follow in order to avoid that backlash? You couldn't ask a better question because we haven't talked about that yet and it's so, so important. People are inherently inclined to do the least amount of work necessary to get the job done. That's the default mode for humans, right? So your writers, your agency, anybody in your team that you're paying to write human content that's qualitative, right? You don't know if they are using AI generated tools and pass it off as their work. I'm not accusing your team here. I'm just saying it's human nature. And I wouldn't blame them, right? Because AI can just do such a great job. I'm here to tell you that Google can detect ChatGPT 
and other content writers out there, 100%, no fail. There is already, not in the future, there's today. There's invisible watermarks, traces, evidence left that people can see that it was written by AI. Should you panic? No, don't panic. Never panic. Calm and reasoned. But it can and will get your site sandboxed. And the reason is that Google is running out of options. If there's 10,000 10, times more content supply out there to index and organize the world's information, they need 10,000 times more servers. Imagine how that goes down in the boardroom. Google called this a code red. Now, I believe in 10 years from now, everybody will be using AI for everything. There will not be any content out there, very little content, that will not have at least a partnership with some kind of an AI component. We're not there yet. Today, this presents a clear and present danger for Google's business model. What does that mean? It means that in the short term, meaning this year, Google is cracking down on people who are writing a lot of content with AI. You need to know if your team is producing such content and if your site is at risk. For that reason, thank you, Moshe, for bringing it up. I'm happy to let you know Inc. is the first company that is integrating AI detection, prevention, mitigation, detection, completely building it into the product. Putting it in layman's term, terms, Inc. is the only product that you can trust for brand safety when it comes to generative writing. It's going to be actually, we're aiming to get this live next week. We have been working over the holidays tirelessly because we know how important this is. This is right now a little bit surprising because ChatGPT's success took everybody by surprise. But the impact that it has is that it has increased the content supply so much faster than anybody thought it would that um, these measures are currently being taken. And you do not want to you know, waste millions of dollars in effort in building your brand. You do not want to waste this for a, um, hey, AI can do this job that took 15 minutes in a minute. You don't want, you don't want that trade-off. So if you want to know uh, if your site is at risk, if you want to copy-paste some text and analyze it, and not just know if it's problematic, but also know which portions of it are problematic. And it does plagiarism checking as well. You know, Inc. will have a solution for you at Inc.forall.com. It's launching uh, mid-January 2023. Your safety comes first. Absolutely. It's necessary to be thinking about that risk that you're taking as a marketer because Google yeah. has to respond and they already issued that code red and we, right. know, we know that they will respond. Does link building become even more important now in this sea of content in order to establish authority? Is that, does that mean that link building is even more important than it used to be? I think that the game of link building, the cat and mouse game, it's the game is pretty much like settled in favor of Google. Like that cat and mouse game has been played. And I would say that at this time, link building works. It is important. But the lowest quality forms of link building will have no impact whatsoever. And acquiring a link through artificial means is now more costly than acquiring an, a, a true link and through added quality means. And I would like to encourage 
I'm not, I'm, links work, but I'm just telling you, Google's algorithms are so settled after playing this game for more than 15 years of cat and mouse. It's so advanced that you're much better off creating a 10-star user experience so people will find it irresistible to share it in a genuine way with their audience. Google knows who is sharing some link and Google knows what site is sharing a link and Google knows if that site is regularly engaged in low-quality links or that author is just existing for the sake of sharing stuff. So to create a, to create a link that's artificial, you have to invest thousands of dollars, in my view, for one that really matters. And you can get those kind of links just from creating a 10-star experience. So in my view, yes, link building works. Yes, it matters. But you're much better off opting for quality of user experience because those links will happen naturally. And we see this happen to us on a day-to-day -day basis. Get, give people something to talk about that's positive and you're going to end up winning. In terms of the, the whole game, right, with Google of, of uh, you know, SEO, SEO, search engine optimization, a lot of the innovation, Moshe, is, is happening on the front of really understanding the authority of an author and a brand. So protect it with your life and the quality of content. Right. So the three big differentiators that we go after with Inc. is one, we believe your content should be safe. It should not be flagged as AI written. Number two, we don't think you should need a writing AI generative product and then a separate optimization product in two subscriptions. We believe you should have everything in one product because it's so linked together. It, one produces spam without the other. So you need the two. And then the third thing is performance is essential. You wouldn't start uh, writing anything without audience research ever, right? Inc. does all that audience research upfront every single time when you write. So think about protection, you know, consolidation of, of things that should be a single subscription and think about content performance. And that's, this is where Google's emphasis right now is in, in, in algorithmic updates in the quality aspect, the trust, uh, make sure you use an author on every article you post that's actually linked to a LinkedIn profile of a real person uh, with real relevant experience to be authoritative on the topic. And that goes back to EAT, expertise, authority, and trust. Correct. Yeah, the the old link building game of of quantity and directories and link stuffing and all of that, that hasn't worked for a while already. But I would imagine that in this flood of content, expertise, authority, trust, and the new E, which is experience, becomes even more important. What other channels, so SEO is important to you, obviously, and, and, and eating your own dog food in order to build that strategy successfully. You know, word of mouth and having really uh, positive reviews from customers and evangelizing your customers in order to drive word of mouth growth. What other channels have been instrumental in Inc.'s growth to date? And what channels do you see becoming more important in the coming years as you continue to scale? Yeah. So we just sold our agency a year ago, which means that I, I don't have a, a whole lot to tell you. Uh, we thought we had to start with SEO because we're, sell, we're, we're selling the promise to people. And when whenever you are looking to buy, here's a hack for you. 
whenever you're looking to buy an SEO product, doesn't matter what it is, okay? Go look at their SEO. If they don't have any SEO, then why would you buy from them? Because if their product was so good, they'd have more traffic. Absolutely. I would generalize that too. When hiring marketers, I am very judgmental in, can you market yourself? Right? If you can't market yourself, yeah. then, then how are you going to market for What are you going to do right, for exactly. me? Yeah. So start there. Uh, this is where we began. That was just like, hey, we had to, right? Because we care about our users and we care about to be truthful and delivering what we actually say we are going to do. The second thing is word of mouth, existing clients referring us to other people. This is this is typically in marketing, the number one marketing activity everybody should be doing all the time, every time from the very beginning. If your product is so good that people can't stop talking about it, you don't need to spend a dollar on ads. I mean, Tesla and Elon Musk famously don't have a PR department, but it is also because their products spark excitement and spark conversation. And so that is something our products have done to a limited extent that we plan to lean into even more heavily in, in, the, in the coming year. And, um, and then for the rest, in marketing, you need to understand the distinction between uh, demand generation and demand capture. So SEO is not demand generation. People will not find you for something they don't know what to look for. We believe that we need to do a lot of activity in 2023 around demand generation. The world needs to know that their sites are at risk of AI penalties. The world needs to know that content performance is really important, right? Uh, there are certain things that they need to know to prepare themselves for the coming, you know, a uh, new knowledge economy and how to navigate that. And so in 2023, expect Inc. to do a lot of work in the marketing aspects that are involved with demand generation. The capture part, we kind of got it down, right? So we're going to keep executing on that. But um, the way we're going to do that is the media that people love to consume, right? Video, audio, visuals, uh, not just that text, you need to you need to have conversations with people. Really, uh, storytelling framework, for example, very useful in that context. Absolutely, you've invested in developing communities as well on Facebook and Discord. Is that more about user feedback and leveraging the community to enhance the the kind of product priorities? Is it a growth channel as well? Tell me how you leverage that. Yes, so um, we have we have started building our community. Uh, I think our Facebook community is maybe only like two or three months old. Discord, we're in process of launching this. I see that brand new startups in the AI space sometimes will, in a short amount of time, acquire maybe like a hundred true fans on Discord that will start evangelizing, sharing, engage with each other. And when people live in your product and it becomes a true community, you have a tremendous value add. I would almost say like um, as an investor, like one of the things you should look at is community engagement because it's, it's something that's very hard to fake, right? I can, you can even fake MRR if you want, right? You can, you can stuff your numbers or you can front load your numbers or whatnot, but true community engagement and excitement is like electricity. We can see that with a number of people in our community that are like so that really get it, they become like your evangelists. And we found that to be so valuable. 
But on Facebook, you lack a bit of the real-time element compared to Discord. So uh, I do believe that D Discord's business model, not charging you for the number of users you have, lends itself really well to, um, to community building. And it's kind of like that. I don't know if it's a book or a video. It's been so long, but everybody's heard about the 100 true fans and a company who acquires them can basically not fail because they have their core team that is just completely in love with your product and understands it. And they become ambassadors. They start helping other people on board. They are helpful and just augment the product experience to such an extent. So community building is a very large focus for us this year. I would say that if you do it, make it an actual job function for somebody in the company. Don't just wing it. Invest in your community and then your community will invest in you. Amazing. Yeah, if you look at companies like Notion and Figma, they built massively successful businesses that people love their products. And they started with a deep emphasis on the community as a way to generate organic word of mouth growth, but also as a way to stay very close to their user base so that they know what to build and deliver on that. Absolutely. I can, we can keep going. I'm, I'm fascinated with this topic, but I want to be respectful to your time. So why don't we move into the lightning round, free association. I'll ask you a question in under 60 seconds. Just uh, tell me what comes to your mind. Does that sound good? Okay. Okay. All right. What book or podcast do you find yourself recommending most often? I love podcasts of, of hearing people's uh, startup founder stories and especially the challenges they face. You mentioned how, how I built this yeah, with how I built this. earlier. Yeah. I love uh, Reed Hoffman's podcasts as well. I love it because it reminds me that these things are not an, like a light switch you turn on and you're instantly successful. Every startup is going through difficulties and challenges, and it's the way that we uh, overcome them and turn lemon into lemonade right, on a weekly basis. It's what sets us apart. Yeah, such a good point because we see on Twitter and on LinkedIn, all these founders are sharing their successes, but there's, <laughs> there's so many pains and, and, and difficulties and stumbles along the way that they don't share necessarily. So keep that in mind. We're all, we're all figuring it yeah, out. Yeah. So turn your Instagram filter off, <laughs> turn it off. <laughs> yeah. That's right. What uh, time management principles keep you productive and how do you balance running your company day to day, your CTO while putting aside time for vision and creativity and, and building the future? So much. And I have to start by saying this is a, an ongoing learning journey, even for me. I love my work so much. I'm so passionate about it that I often find myself in hyper-focus. And before I know it, I skipped lunch or, or important needs. And so um, I will start by saying I have a lot of work to do on this. But there's a few things that I've learned that I can't live without. If you took it away from me, I would not feel productive. So the first thing they have to do in the morning when you wake up is you have to write down the three things you have to get done that day that would make today successful. And then you have to have grace with yourself too, because there's always one more thing to do in a startup. And if you feel like you have achieved a very meaningful amount of progress in a day, you have to give yourself permission to take a break. Because if you do not, you're going to not continue to operate your best productivity over a long period of time. Great success does not come from brick sprints. It comes from incremental consistency over time. 
So start with the three things in the morning that will keep you focused and organized on the things that must happen that will make everything else easier for you to achieve. Then you need to learn to have a management technique, whatever that is, to when, because things are going to come at you. They're going to come at you all the time throughout the day. Do this, do this, do this. Uh, a way for you to file it away for later. And the way that I do it is a, I have my Moleskine notebook that I live by and I have, I, I write little check boxes because I get immense gratification from just checking it off. And then I, I have a column for work stuff and a column for personal stuff. And I check that off. Things that, that come to me during the day go on this, on this notebook. They do not start until I finish my three big things for the day. They do not take priority over my three big things. And only if I finish my three big things, I can, I can address them. And then I give myself permission to move these things to another date and, and let them slide because they're not my priority. So I'd say just start with that, get a good notebook or a good system can be a piece of paper as well and focus on what's what's going to move the needle most for you. And I, I, we can have a whole separate podcast about productivity. I'll, I'll, I'll stop there. I, I like that you have a physical notebook. I feel validated because I also have one. And I was talking to Sarah Well on, on uh, episode five and, and she also, she was saying how she can't live without her physical notebook, you know, in a digital age where everything is, you know, about productivity yeah. and efficiency. <laughs> there's something about a physical piece of paper and a pen that I just can't move away from. What's your proudest moment of your career so far? I mean, it has to be the people and the mentorship. I mean, it's unbelievable yeah. the amount of satisfaction you can get out of that, seeing somebody grow. I, I always like to keep leave people better than how I found them. No matter how we part, sometimes, I mean, I've got people that their dream was to work for Google, right? And they couldn't get in and then they work with me and then, then they get in with Google. I'll even help them write their letter even though it's going to suck for me to lose them because I care about their progress. And guess what? Then they get in. And no matter what happens, because you cannot predict the outcome of a business. You can, nobody can guarantee success. If it was, it was guaranteed, then I would take a loan and would not investment ever. What you can guarantee is how you treat other people every single day. Don't be afraid. Don't hold back share information, nurture, grow, let them take courses, let them try different things, give them opportunity. The loyalty and friendship you get from these people, I mean, it's something that I don't even deserve, right? It is, it is so beautiful and so, so wonderful. For everybody that's worked with me in the past and currently, I just want to say thank you for giving me your trust, believing, believing in me and letting me be your mentor. It is, it is the proudest thing I can think of in my whole work career. That's beautiful. And 100% true. It sounds paternalistic to say is like, oh, I'm proud of the people, but it's so true as a manager. If you've, if you've invested in someone and developed them and then they go on to do amazing things and sometimes even surpassing you and it's just, there's no competition there. It's, it's like, yeah. uh, in a way, kind of like seeing your kids go on to do <laughs> incredible things. And you're like, yeah, you know, like, yeah. I, want you, I want you to to go past where I was. Right. It's pretty beautiful. If you could have coffee with any historical figure, who would it be and why? I can think of a few re religious figures. I'll leave them out. Let's see. I would love to meet with some people at the beginning phases of modernism who are really influential and just tell them kind of what the outcome of all of it was on society and tell them to just um, 
use that information to kind of rethink their frameworks a little bit, because I feel as a society, we we're really in dire need of that right now. I think we're a bit of postmodernist society, and I feel like the world's a little bit lost as a whole. And then in context of artificial intelligence, I think of it as a uh, as uh, Genesis and Pinocchio. I'll just leave it there. Maybe some of your audience can run with it. But we are going to, in the next few years, we are going to ask ourselves a lot of the fundamental existential questions. The big philosophical questions are going to make a comeback. What does it mean to be a community? What does it mean to be a society? What is the role of a nation? Uh, what is my role in society when labor becomes abundant when, and so forth and so on? So, yeah, I would love to meet with some of these um, these these figures and and see what if their take on it would be different if they would have any regrets or other approaches um to it because i do think that this is going to be um it's going to be these are going to be big questions that maybe i'm already too old um to answer them i think they're probably going to be answered by a younger generation maybe the one that's being born right now but it it leaves me wondering about the future. Yeah, there are a lot of big questions that are going to get bigger. I'm going to have a uh, AI ethicist on the podcast in the next couple of weeks to to talk about some of these because uh, it's fascinating how I yeah, have to well, listen. Well, there's so many implications <laughs> of AI in in society and law and economies. Any question that you wish I'd asked that I didn't? No, I think you were very thorough. And I could do this for hours. But we do have work to get to. I hope one day I can come back. <laughs> you have your three yeah. things. I hope one day I can come back to your podcast. And maybe when the, when maybe after GPT-4 is released and kind of understanding what the implications are of that. This is definitely, I mean, to the people that are in my friend circle, I have sounded like a broken record. Uh, like uh, holding up a sign on the corner of the street, the end is nigh. Like you know, with AI and what's about to happen. And I feel like uh, the world at large uh, and the conversations I see online are a lot like the feelings I had and I, I struggled and wrestled with for the past year because those who are following this are aware of the implications of it and how it's going to change society. But I'm hopeful we have a potential to create a vastly better world for more people. And we are asking the right questions around screen time and consumption and our, or the role of digital in our lives and a reconnection. And I believe with, with nature and who we are, I, I think overall, I think we have an unprecedented opportunity as a society to decide if we want to create a fundamentally better future for all people or just for a handful of people that control it. And I think those are fundamental things that we have the opportunity and exciting period to live in, in history, to figure out together. And I'm hopeful that we will choose wisely. Amazing. Alexander, I can't thank you enough for your time, for your generosity and sharing your insights and your experience. I'm going to be watching Inc. for All's success closely and, and wish you uh, tons of success in the business and in everything else. And uh, definitely we'll keep in touch. And any final 
words you'd like to share with the audience and how can people find you if they want to get in touch? Yeah. So just go to inkforall.com, uh, join our community and, um, we can, uh, you can, you can always find me online somewhere. So looking forward to that. Moshe, it was a pleasure to have you. I think, um, you keep getting interesting people on like the AI ethicists and so forth. I hope your audience will appreciate that value. It's uh, definitely the experience part of EEAT, right? So I think you create content that has value and I wish you success in uh, 2023. Thank you, Alexander. We'll talk to you soon. All the best. Bye. That's a wrap. Thank you to Alexander and thank you so much for joining me on this learning adventure. I really do appreciate it. Can you believe we're already 10 episodes into doing the show? What do you think so far? I always love to hear your feedback, so please reach out and let me know which episode was your favorite, how can I make the show even better, or which guests would you love to hear on a future episode? I can be found on LinkedIn or Twitter, or hit me up via email at hello at pmfpod.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and leave a rating or review. It really does help. And finally, if you're considering a fractional CMO for your startup, check out growth.co. That's growth without the O.co. Until next time, wishing you rocket ship success in your startup journey.